0: We have a tragedy in the body of Christ. We have a tragedy in the ranks. We have a tragedy in the kingdom. We have a tragedy in the body of Christ. What's that? We're losing 22,000 pastors every year to God's calling. They're backslidden in the pulpit. They uncall themselves. You have to be pretty far from God to uncall yourself from the ministry that he called you to. 22,000 pastors every year are out and then think about it how many are missing in action or how many are, are there in action but are are just stagnating frustrated left in critical condition I mean if we think of it of a, as a war we had 22,000 casualties this year and then we have the survivors and many of them are in critical condition they're hanging by their thumbs they're just making it through the day with frustration and anxiety. And the losses are significant. I don't know what those statistics are. The first one was Barna's. I don't know what Barna would say, how many are dangerously close to falling off the edge and uncalling themselves as well. So think about the number of survivors that are left in critical condition. And we have to reach them. We have to reach them. We have to get to them. And we're gonna have to work smarter to make that happen. But the losses are significant. Like what? Well, the loss of intimacy with God. Like I said, you'd have to be pretty far from God to uncall yourself. Major ministry opportunities are missed, which we're going to start looking at here shortly. Future leaders are not developed. We don't have a plan for generational uh, succession. We don't have a succession plan and a legacy. We're not discipling like the world system disciples. So we're losing future generations of leaders to God's work. Families are destroyed. Families are destroyed. And those are all what Barna would tell you, and I'm going to share some more with you. But what I've found in 12 years of working with pastors, collectively, corporately like this, or individually, in fact, I looked them up uh, once. I was writing an article for FCF, it was too many words, so we couldn't use it in the article. I mean, their magazine wasn't big enough for my article. But, <laughs> but, but the I looked them up. There are 37 D words that describe what it's like to be in critical condition. They're all D words. Debilitated, defeated, deflated, defunct, dejected, demoralized, depleted, depressed, despairing, desperate, despondent, devastated, disappointed, disconsolate, discouraged, disenchanted, disgusted, disheartened, disillusioned, dispirited, disrupted, dissatisfied, distraught, distressed, disturbed, doubtful, downcast, all because of the final big D word, dysfunctional. We're dysfunctional. And it's not because you're not smart, it's just you've never been taught. If you haven't been taught these things, if you haven't been taught the things the world knows how to have a successful steady compounding increase for shareholders, if we haven't been taught those things, then how would we know how to do them? And that's what makes it so frustrating. That's what makes it such a difficult job. And that's what they just described so eloquently. This is the most intense, most powerful, Most practical application, skill development training anywhere. This will change your life. Because it's what God put in me for 48 years. It's not about me. I'm not bragging on me. I'm boasting on the Lord, what he taught me. It's the most powerful, most intense, most practical application. No more slogans, sayings. Oh, we throw a few in. But how to do it. How to do the job. How to apply it to your life and to your ministry was what they learned. That's why they're having such huge successes now. Unbelievable changes. Now, you're Colossians 4.17. You were called to take heed to the ministry that you've been given. And you're here to fulfill it. I respect that. You're here to get all you can so you can be all you can be for Christ. But some of them are not here today, as we just said. 22,000. But where are you? Where are you here today? Where do you stand in this whole thing? Some of you are desperate. Some of you are desperate. Some of you are frustrated. There's 37 D words that I just read. You're borderline casualty. Maybe you're just hanging by your thumbs till Jesus comes. Just make it. Operating in despair, demoralization, discouragement. That's some of you. I don't know. We're all at different places here at different levels. Some of you don't like the job anymore. It's not what you signed up for. They didn't tell you anything about that it was going to be like this. Nobody ever told me how to do this. Some, so many have said, they just told me, preach the word and they'll come. You know, it's a little more than... Look, car's a little bit more than that. A third group may be, this is you. Some of you are not entertaining quitting, but you're pretty sick and tired of achieving so little. There's what we call an aching void of underachievement. I was in Seattle a number of years ago. We were praying before the training, and the pastor's wife said, There's an aching void of underachievement among the pastors. She prayed that God would remove that from them with the training. An aching void of underachievement. Because we're going to answer for this. We're going to stand in line and be asked, what did you do with what I gave you to do? It weighs heavily on all of us in ministry. And it should be weighing heavily on you leaders too. It's not just the pastor who's going to have to answer. God's going to be asking you, what did you do in your department, in your division, in your area of responsibility, your project? We're all going to be held accountable, and that weighs heavily. You're up to here in nonsense. We're still on that third group. You're up to here in nonsense and crisis and chaos and minutia. And you're fed up with the toxicity of ministry. And then, some of you, you may... Think you're reasonably successful and it appears that you are a good group a good crowd a big build nice building lots of programs lots of things going on but you're not optimally successful you're not optimally successful you're not you're not maximally efficient and effective and accomplishing for God he's not getting a maximum return on his investment we're not having the steady compounding growth and increase that you would want out of any company you invest in in the world. He's not getting a full return on his investment, and you struggle. You're not thinking about quitting, but you're struggling with what's missing. What, why, is it working? Why isn't it working? I know there's something missing. Some things are not happening like they should. I know there's more, and we've got so much more to do. I can see how much more there is, but it's not happening. So it doesn't matter what level we're at, whether we're at the beginning or whether we're struggling uh, at any pay- way along the line and, about, and near-miss casualty or whether we're here looking successful with a large crowd and maybe even multiple campuses. But are we optimally successful for God? Pain is inevitable, but misery is optional. Pain is inevitable. It's painful to build something, to grow something, to, uh, to achieve. Anything we work hard to achieve and, and, and to accomplish is, has some painful elements to it. That's, but that, they should be joyful Painful elements where we bust through those things and and build up our strength and our faith and our stamina. But misery is optional and misery is optional. So we have to reinvent the way we do ministry. We have to reinvent the way we do ministry. We have to function entirely differently than you've been functioning. And we develop bad habits over time if you haven't been trained. If you haven't gotten this in your Bible college or in seminary, then we develop bad habits over time. And so we need to reinvent the way we do ministry. Maximize our effectiveness as a CEO. We have to maximize your ministry so we can get a maximum return for God on his investment. We need, first, we need to maximize your intimacy with God. So this, the greatest testimonies that come in are the ones where... I have time to be with God again, like I used to be when we first started. When I'd be in the carpet with him and say, God, how do I do this? And how do I make this happen? And, and that intimacy with my first love, that was so strong. But then it wanes because we don't have time for intimacy. Or we're so stressed and maxed out, all those D words, that we couldn't hear his still small voice. So we need to... Reinvent our ministries and reinvent our lives so we have maximum intimacy with God. Then maximum, so we have a maximum supernatural occurring. I love the testimonies when they say, "I have time to spend with God now," and things are, people are getting healed in the services, and the Holy Spirit is moving. And this is so exciting for me again. And people are excited, and congregations excited, and we're drawing people in. Maximum anointing on what you're doing, and maximum intimacy with your spouse and your family, and maximum vision that gets done for him. Build a great ministry, but first build a great life with God and family, his order of priorities. I want you to have freedom. I want you to have freedom and joy in what you're doing, the freedom to really be intimate with him, the freedom to accomplish all of God's mandates. That's freeing. When you're on on a roll, when things are getting done, you feel free. Freedom. How about this? Freedom for your personal mandates. You have personal mandates, not just your ministry mandate. You have personal mandates. And because you're dysfunctional, because you're operating out of position, your personal mandates aren't getting done. Like what? Well, some of you have a personal mandate to write books. I know a number of you in this room that are great authors. I have a number of your books. You're a writer. They're not getting done. They're not getting written. Why? Because you're too immersed in what other people should be doing with the right leadership structure, with the right method systems and process. Some of you have a a call to be in media, on, on the radio, on TV, things of that nature. And that's not happening. Because you're too consumed by the ministry itself. Your personal mandates are being they're, and they're just as valuable to God as your corporate mandates. He's counting on you getting those things done. There's a purpose, or he wouldn't have assigned them to you, and he wouldn't have gifted you to do them. How about an apostolic anointing? To to begin to build other ministries and to share what you've learned and build those other ministries and reproduce yourself into others. Those are all personal mandates. Missions. Some of you are called to the missions field. You can't go. You haven't gone for years because the ministry is too consuming, too all-consuming. One pastor said uh, God told him to write. Well, I said this one time. It was actually in this building, and there was a gentleman right here in the front row. He had his face down in the table. He was sobbing right where Pastor Terry is. And he had his face down in the table and he's sobbing and his wife was next to him and she was pat- consoling and patting him on the back and then I looked up and there was a gentleman over there, another pastor and three more they were s- crying heavily and they were convicted not condemned they were convicted though by the spirit of God because they weren't getting the personal mandates done and and so we asked the fellow the pastor from Greensboro to pray those tormenting spirits off of them but this stuff weighs heavily on you. You know it. And you can't let these things fester. You have to make a change. And you have to put these method, systems, and processes in place. But one pastor said, you know, God told him to write a book. And it was at the end of a decade. And he said, write a book. And then it's a, it's gonna, it's a prophetic book, you know, about the next decade. And he said, by the time I wrote the book, it was a history book, you know. <laughs> So it really didn't help God out any. So you have to stay strong in your calling, but in your personal mandates, in addition to your corporate mandates. And you have to have other people running with the vision. Other people running with the vision. Since effective leadership is not taught in conjunction with Bible colleges and seminaries, we we covered this before, but I want to make a point. With spiritual training, most ministry CEOs, with spiritual training that they get, most are ill-equipped when they begin to lead, as we heard. They develop improper habits and coping skills which correspond to dysfunctional behavior. How does that manifest? How does this, man- this, this dysfunctional favor manifest in the lives of the pastors and then trickle down into the, into the uh, culture of the ministry? and any other ministries that we establish. If we're, gonna, if we're gonna have multiple sites, and if we're gonna have multiple campuses, or satellites, or whatever you call them, then we, we wanna make sure we're reproducing the right thing, and that the right DNA is being reproduced. But listen to these statistics quickly, because we're gonna be talking about change here. And This whole thing is gonna be a waste of your time if you're not willing to change. So I'm priming the pump here, to get you to be more willing, more receptive to change. And I'll just share maybe uh, six or eight, or no, it looks like ten or so, but these are from Barna and some other research outfits. 4,000 new churches begin each year, 7,000 close. Going the wrong direction here. 50% of pastors' marriages will end in divorce. Second highest divorce rate to the medical profession. Boy, that's a real example to the world. 80% of pastors and and 84% of their spouses feel unqualified and discouraged in their role as pastors. Untrained. 50% of pastors are so discouraged that they would leave the ministry if they could, but they have no other way of making a living. 80% of seminary and Bible college students who enter the ministry will leave the ministry in the first five years because they don't have a clue what they're doing. Ninety percent of pastors said their seminary or Bible school training did only a fair to poor job of preparing them for ministry. Eighty-five percent of pastors said their greatest problem is that they're sick and tired of dealing with problem people, such as disgruntled elders, deacons, worship leaders, worship teams, board members, and associate pastors. Some of them are even Christians. 90% said that the hardest thing about ministry is dealing with uncooperative people. 70% felt God called them to pastoral ministry before their ministry began. But after three years of ministry, only 50% felt called. Hmm. Reality set in. Now they're facing reality. Seventy percent of pastors do not have a close friend, confidant, or mentor. Yeah, you've got to have a life beyond ministry, guys. Ninety-five percent of pastors do not regularly pray with their spouse. Ninety-five percent. I mean, if you just would pray regularly with your spouse, we could turn the 50% divorce rate, right, ratchet it right up to only 20 or 25, just overnight. 80% of pastors surveyed spend less than 15 minutes a day in prayer. 70% said the only time they spend studying the Word of God. And, and let's, let's face it, this, you know, guys that uncall themselves, guys that don't pray with their spouse or spend more than 15% of time with God in prayer, it's not by design. It's, let's see how far I can get from God and still do His work. Nobody's thinking like that. It's insidious. Little by little by little, the weight of the ministry grows heavier and heavier upon you and you sacrifice your priority times in life with God and your family. 70% said the only time they spend studying the Word is when they're preparing their sermons. 40% will have an extramarital affair in the course of their ministry career. It's over 40 now. It was 30 just a few years ago. It's, it's, and there's more, but that makes the point. Now, this, I want to share with you three things that I have learned. This is the, these are my statistics. Three things that I've learned in the 12 years that I've been working one-on-one with pastors and corporately like this. Most pastors and leaders are operating out of position with an unprotected anointing, underachieving the vision, with a lack of intimacy with God and family and no clarity on how to leave a legacy. That's a mouthful. Let's hear it one more time. Most pastors slash leaders are operating out of position, so you're improperly positioned to do God's work, with an unprotected anointing, underachieving the vision, Lack of intimacy with God and family and no clarity on how to leave a legacy. Secondly, most pastors slash leaders have so much needless crisis and chaos in their lives that they do not face the facts and in fact they avoid them at great cost. And therefore major ministry opportunities are missed and major mistakes are made. They avoid them at great cost. It's like, I I I don't care... I don't want to know anymore. I can't take anymore. I don't, Martha, don't talk to me about all the problems. I, I, don't, I can't take them anymore. Leave me alone. Most pastors, thirdly, most pastors slash leaders do not lead. We do not effectively lead. In fact, we're, we're leading, but we're leading in the wrong thing. We're, we're modeling the wrong things. Most pastors do not lead, most do not properly disciple, coach, teach, train, and mentor those that God has entrusted to them. Now let me ask you some questions. How come the world system can provide their shareholders with steady compounding increase year after year? They can give their shareholders a return on their their investment. And if they don't, they're fired. Now, ministry, God has a little bit more grace. But how come the world system can provide shareholders with steady compounding increase? Yet in ministries, we struggle to give God a return on the greatest investment of all time that he personally made. How come? How come in the corporate world, the corporate system, how come they know more about how to work this leadership manual than we do in the body of Christ? How come those executives out there teach and train or disciple their people and build depth in their ministry and leave a succession plan, replicate themselves and build and build a future for the company? How come, when, and we don't, we underachieve, stagnate, miss opportunities left and right. How come when the world system uh, encounters an issue, they salivate? They just get so excited when they see a problem. Oh, what an opportunity to add value to the company. Wow, look at this. If we can just, if we can reinvent that part of the ministry or the company and we can change that, we can add value for shareholders. We'll get increases. Compounding success. But in ministry, we cringe. Oh, gee, another problem. Oh, another issue. Oh, my gosh, I can't take anymore. I don't want to know about I don't. I can't. Deal with it. Make it go away. How come they, the corporate CEOs, can have a quality of life? And pastors are so frustrated. So that's what we have to work on. How come? The how comes. What do we have to learn? What do we have to do differently? What what has to change? Well, we're about to find out. You're holding a powerful purpose and a vision and you're strategically placed for this particular time in God's kingdom history. You're, you are critical. You are so important. And it's, the change has to start with you. We have to position you for profound and lasting change in your life and ministry. We have to provide your leaders the opportunity to grow in effectiveness and in lifetime value for God. Lifetime value for God. So this is about leading change to continually reach higher levels. Leading change to continually reach higher levels. A protected anointing with supernatural results. Extraordinary quality of life with total command. A solid foundation for all that God wants to build through you. And position for the coming harvest and the transfer of wealth. We have a challenge here. I mean, if ever... I've seen the scripture about evil being called good and good being called evil. It's today. And it's never been clearer. Uh, And the church and you guys are the only hope. And you can see it becomes clearer and clearer as we look around us that this Babylonian empire here can't figure it out. Okay? There's so much stupidity and so much incompetence, and so much greed, and they're, they're trying to figure it out on their own, and they're trying to get God out of the way as fast as they can, so they can figure it out themselves. And it, and it's, it never has been more evident. So never has it been more valuable to keep you strong, and to keep you positioned with strength underneath you to, do, to generate generations who will be training and teaching our grandchildren. Never has it been more important. So... We have to reinvent, reboot, refit, whatever you want to call it, our ministries. But we have to recall you, reinstate you, reinvigorate you, re-energize you, reunite you to, with your people effectively and with your spouse. And it will be remarkable if you work these things. Maximum CEOs have to learn how to apply these things. So you saw up there on the big screens earlier, this is about maximum productivity maximum acceleration, maximum anointing, maximum vision, maximum freedom, and maximum enjoyment.